so today we are continuing uh, our journey through the Gospel of Mark. So if you're just here for the first time, maybe you, you haven't been here in a couple weeks, uh, we started out a couple weeks ago uh, our journey through the Gospel of Mark. So in the New Testament of the Bible, there's uh, Matthew and then there's Mark and then Luke and John. Those are what we call the Gospels. And so we decided we're going to spend the next 10 weeks all the way up to Easter journeying through the Gospel of Mark. And today uh, is really important because today we're going to discover the importance of honoring God with our hearts. And here's the big point for today. If you don't leave with anything else, I want you to leave knowing this. It's going to be on the screen, and it's this simple phrase, it's your heart that matters. Can we just say that together? It's your heart that matters. And so I hope that you'll leave here today knowing that. But before we jump into uh, our, our gospel message this morning, uh, I want to tell you about something I'm super excited about that's going to start happening in just a few weeks. It's called 21 Days of Hope. And, uh, and so 21 Days of Hope is uh, the 21 days leading up to Easter. Uh, we're going to be sending you, uh, if you sign up, we're going to be sending you text messages and emails to encourage you, to give you hope and also to give hope to other people. And so part of that 21 days of hope uh, will be text messages just encouraging you and challenging you uh, to get ready for Easter. And then some of those text messages or emails will be to invite someone else to come and be a part of Easter here at Warehouse Church. And so we would love for you right now uh, to get out your phones, if you don't mind, and, uh, and to text the word, can you go back to that screen, sorry, text the word HOPE to the number on the screen there, 606-268-4886. And, uh, and what that does is it'll take you to a little connection card that'll ask you to put your email and your, te and your phone number in there. And the reason we do that is because we'll send you a text message every other day or so, and we'll send you an email every other day or so to kind of help you to uh, get geared up and ready for Easter. And, uh, and so it won't begin until... Uh, the 21 days before Easter, which is March 19th, I think. And so you won't begin to get text messages until later on in March. So don't freak out if you don't get one tomorrow. Um, but we want you to sign up now uh, so that you can get a, become a part of that. And uh, so 21 days of hope. I'm super excited because it's going to kind of help us as a church to just uh, be hopeful during this season, but also to share that hope with other people. And so um, I hope you'll consider maybe being a part of the 21 days of hope. Uh, so let's pray, though, and let's invite the Holy Spirit in our message this morning. Father God, we do thank you for your word. And God, just like we talked to the children, Lord, your word is so important. It's so valuable because everything in the Bible, it has everything that we need to live the Christian life and has everything that we need for salvation. So Father, I pray that today uh, that you would remove the scales from our eyes. God, you would um, uh, unplug our ears and you would soften our hearts so that we could see, hear, and know exactly what it is that you have for us. Because Lord, I believe with all of my heart that you have a message for each of us today. So God, speak to us. Lord, change us. God, shape us and mold us into the people that you want us to be. In your name we pray, amen. So, um, so we're in this uh, gospel message, and today we're hanging out in uh, chapter 7 of Mark. And, and I wonder this, I wonder, do, uh, do maybe you uh, or your family, does your family have any uh, favorite family traditions? Like, think about that for a minute. Is there any favorite family traditions that you have? Maybe you have a favorite vacation spot that you go every year, uh, or maybe there's something that you do every year around the holidays together as a family. Um, one of our family traditions and one of my favorite family traditions that we do is that we go to the farm for Thanksgiving every year, and uh, so during Thanksgiving. And so uh, the farm is this, uh, it's the homestead of my wife's 
uh, family, her mom's side of the family, the Hendry family uh, in Florida, and uh, they settled there a long, long, long time ago, and uh, and so they the home place is still there. Actually, uh, her aunt or my my wife's great aunt, uh, her house is still there. She was born there and she died there. She was a hundred years old or close to 190 some years old when she passed away, and uh, and her home is still there. There's counties in Florida named after them. There's a Hendry County, which is named after my wife's uh, family, and so we love to go to the home place, to the farm for Thanksgiving, and it's my favorite tradition because here's what we do. Uh, We set up tables. They set up tables outside by the creek, and so we don't go to the house. Uh, We drive past the house, the, the farmhouse, and we go out by the creek under the trees. We've got tables set up, Family comes, we put a big old spread out on the table, we eat and eat and eat, and then we take a bet on who's going to fall asleep first after they eat, and uh, and the cows sometimes come, and they have uh, Thanksgiving with us as well, and maybe we'll go feed the cows. It's just an amazing day. It's, it's a family day, there's no TVs, there's no, no nothing like that, it's just out by the creek, having a good time with family, and the cousins, and the aunts, and the uncles, and the brothers, and the sisters, they all gather around by the creek. And they talk about Thanksgiving's past, and they talk about history past, and, uh, and it's just so much fun. And uh, so I bet you have some family traditions, too, that you love, and, and, and I, I'm sure there are some that you're like, man, I just can't wait now until that family tradition. Like, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday, mostly because of that, because we get to get spend time at the farm. But in our passage today, in our passage today, Jesus uh, steps on some traditions, he steps purposely on some traditions to make the point that it's your heart that matters. And so I want us to read together. If you have your Bibles, great, or you can uh, read it on your, on your phone. In uh, uh, Mark chapter 7, we're going to look at the first 23 verses of Mark chapter 7. And uh, you can read along on the screen as well. And here's how it begins. It says, the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, and that is unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they gave, uh, give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. Now, if you have your um, Bibles, you might want to put your thumb on there, underline that tradition of the elders. We're going to come back to that. And when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observed many other traditions, such as washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. Verse 5, so the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Jesus replied in verse 6 and said, Israel was right, or Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. Everybody say hypocrites. Man, Jesus calling them out. He says, hypocrites, as it is written, and then he quotes this passage. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from God. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus goes on and says in verse 8, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said... Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares uh, that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is devoted to God, it's an offering devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or their mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition. 
that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. Verse 14, again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. And after he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked, that's Jesus, don't you see nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. And saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Verse 20, he went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. So Jesus and his disciples, they're in Galilee. We know that. It says that they're in Galilee. And, and, and verse 1 tells us that the Pharisees, these religious leaders and the experts of the law, so these guys that knew the Torah, the first few books of the Bible, knew it backwards and forward, knew the Ten Commandments, knew every law they had written. They were experts in the law. And they had traveled all the way from Jerusalem to come to Galilee for the sole purpose of finding fault with Jesus. Like the only reason that these religious leaders and experts in the law came is in hopes of tripping Jesus up and finding fault with him. And Mark tells us in verse two uh, exactly what their beef is with Jesus. And he says this, let's just look at it one more time. It says, they uh, saw, they being the religious leaders, saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled. That is unwashed. And so they hadn't done the ceremonial washing of their hands. And and Mark goes on and says in verse 3, the Pharisees, he explains this. He says, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come in from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions such as washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. And so the ceremonial washing of hands was a ritual, but it was a ritual that wasn't found in the word of God. It was a ritual based on the tradition of elders. And it was not a commandment from God, but rather one of many traditions created by man in hopes of protecting the law, like their intention when they created all of these rituals and ceremonies was to protect the law. And so, um, so, and it was to keep people pure and holy. So when they came up with the ceremonial washing of hands, their whole purpose of that was to keep people pure and holy. And so the religious leaders asked Jesus, hey, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of elders? And that's key because that's where this is coming from. It's not coming from the law. It's coming from traditions of the elders instead of eating food with unclean hands in hopes, again, of tripping Jesus up. And Jesus responds, and he responds to their accusation by explaining that only a change in the human heart can be about true holiness, can bring about true holiness. So Jesus tells him, he says, listen, the only thing that is going to bring holiness is a changing of your heart. Uh, And make a person right with God is a changing of your heart. It's your heart that matters, is what Jesus said. And he makes it crystal clear to them that this new movement that Jesus was starting, this new thing that Jesus was doing would not be a matter of rituals and ceremonies. 
That, it, that he didn't come to bring new rituals and new ceremonies. He didn't come to celebrate old rituals and old ceremonies, but he came for transformed hearts. That for Jesus, the thing that mattered the most was a transformation, a change in your heart. JD experienced that change in his heart the moment he said yes to Jesus. When you gave your life to Christ, you began to experience that transformation in your heart. If you're here today and you haven't said yes to Jesus, that day that you say yes, hopefully today you'll say yes to Jesus, you will begin to experience that transformation in your heart. And the mission, Jesus makes it clear that the mission, the reason he came was not to bring about conformity to Jewish traditions or ceremonial law, but he came for one reason, and that was for a changing of the heart. And yet you and I, we think about that, and we live in this broken world where sinful desires and thoughts and words in our hearts hinder us every day. Like, it's hard for us to live with a transformed heart because we're constantly bombarded by things on the outside and circumstances that drive us to have sinful desires and thoughts and words. And so how can we honor God? Like, how do we honor God from our hearts? Like, if it's our hearts that matter, how do we honor God with our hearts? And so I want us to dig in a little deeper today, and I want us to see what we can learn from Mark chapter 7 uh, and what we can learn about why it matters, why our hearts matter. And so the first thing that we see in here, the first important thing is that Jesus called out the Pharisees' hypocrisy. And so you got to understand, if you're just catching up, the first seven chapters of the Gospel of Mark reveals Jesus spends all of his time revealing God's love towards people. And he does this by teaching the words of God, but he also does this by caring for uh, practical needs in miraculous ways. Like uh, Michael is wearing the shirt with the two loaves and, or the two fishes and the five loaves, and, uh, and, and it equals 5,000. And God met a need. There was a need. People were hungry, and God did something miraculous with, uh, with two fishes and five loaves to feed 5,000 people. And so, and yet, though, the proud. Uh, the prideful, proud, self-righteous religious leaders, they completely miss that. Like they completely ignore what Jesus is doing. Like they've heard. It's, it's, it would be hard for them not to hear about all the things that Jesus has been teaching and all the things that Jesus has been doing. But instead of focusing on the good things that Jesus has been doing, they completely focus on one thing. And that's to find something to accuse Jesus of. Because Jesus was really making a mockery of them with the teachings and with his miraculous things. He was really teaching something that, that was revolutionary, to love their neighbor. Like, well, how dare he teach about loving your neighbor? And how dare he ask someone to love your enemy? And he's teaching these revolutionary ideas. And so they blow by all the cool things, the great things, the amazing things that Jesus is doing so that they can just find something to accuse him of. They just want to get rid of him. And so here in this moment, as they travel from Jerusalem to Galilee, they spot something right away. They find that the disciples were eating food with unwashed hands. And they're like, we got him. Like, we've got him right here. And you're thinking, well, what's the big deal? Like, I eat at McDonald's all the time without washing my hands. I go and eat at home without washing my hands. My parents brought me up telling me to go wash my hands, but I haven't done that in a while. And, 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 and so, but you got to understand, it wasn't so much a hygiene thing but it was a matter of breaking a tradition that had been created many, many, many years ago. 
And so the disciples broke this tradition. In verses 3 and 4, Mark explains why this is a big deal. He tells us, he's honest, he says, the Pharisees and all the Jews, they don't eat. Like, we don't eat a meal unless we do the ceremonial washing, holding to the traditions of the elders. And when they came to the marketplace, they don't eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. And they wash to purify themselves. So here's what they were doing. They were, they were concerned that if they went to the marketplace, that they would touch the hands of a Gentile, or they would touch the hands of a, of a public sinner, and then they would become contaminated with their sin, and then they would become sinners. And so and it was their effort to keep their identity as holy people in a pagan culture. And anyone who broke the rules, like anyone who broke the tradition of washing their hands, became shamed or maybe even ostracized from their family, and they were definitely treated as a criminal. And so if you didn't do the ceremonial washing, you were shamed for it. Like you, you could be treated as a criminal for not washing your hands. So parents, maybe you need to go home and say, listen, you're going to go to jail if you don't wash your hands. Tell your kids that. You'll go to jail if you don't wash. No, don't do that. Um, but that, that's what they did. And so the religious leaders they thinking, man, I caught Jesus red-handed. Like, we are going to accuse him of this, and we're going to throw him in jail, and we're going to be done with this guy and his revolution. But then Jesus responds, and I think we need to see how Jesus responds, because look at verse 6 and 7 again. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from God. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. So Jesus calls the, the, the religious leaders out. He calls them hypocrites. And hypocrite was a word that back in Jesus' day, it literally meant an actor. Like it was a person who was playing a role in front of others. Like that, that was a, a common thing back then. You would go and you would see uh, people acting and they would wear different masks and they would have a bunch of masks and they would play different characters. They were hypocrites. They were playing a different role. And so Jesus calls these religious leaders hypocrites because their real person, the person behind the mask was vastly different from the one that they presented to others. And in Matthew 23, verse 25, Jesus said this about him uh, in Matthew's gospel. He said, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees. What's he call them again? You hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. And so Jesus sees their hearts because it's your heart that matters. And, and they appeared holy on the outside. These religious leaders, these Pharisees, and these, these experts in the law, they appeared holy on the outside, but they were full of sin. And they did this in two ways. And we see it here. The first way that they were hypocrites is they honored God with their lips, but their hearts were far from God. In the synagogue, they spoke godly words. So these Pharisees would speak godly words, but when they got to the parking lot, they became totally different people. They became ungodly people. And maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you grew up with parents like that that would take you to church, and inside the church, your parents were one person. But as soon as you got to the parking lot, or as soon as you got in the car, they were, they were different people. It's like a switch went off, and they turned into these ugly people, these people with foul mouths, or these people that, that spoke unkind about other people. The Pharisees were the same way. 
Like in the synagogues, they praised God's with their praise God with their lips, but when they got home, they complained and they spoke ill of other people. It's like around the dinner table, they were talking about everyone else in the church. Well, you won't believe about what Sue did. Did you see what she was wearing? Did you see what he did? And they completely are talking about everyone else. They lived for people. The Pharisees did. They lived for people, not for God. They sought the praise of men instead of God. And we do the very same thing. Like we're not very different. We go through religious motions. Some of us do, but we have no real joy and we do a lot of complaining on the way home. Like often many of us are just like the Pharisees. But here's the deal. The Christian life cannot be lived only with one's lips. It must come from the heart. And God desires for us to open up our hearts to him and to love him and to serve him with pure hearts. Because it's your heart that matters. Can you say that with me? It's your heart that matters. And why? Why does God want us to honor him from our hearts? Like, why is our heart so important? Because back in the time of Jesus, and continues on to today, that the heart is the center of the human being. That's what they believe. That's what, that's what Jewish culture believed. That's what we still believe today, that the heart is the center of the human being. It's the center of who you are. Proverbs even says this in Proverbs 4.23. It says, above all else, guard your heart. For why? For everything flows from it. What matters to God is not your outward appearance. Like God's not interested in your outward appearance. He doesn't care if you got a mullet with the party in the back and the whatever in the front. He doesn't care about that. He doesn't care about what your dress is. He doesn't care about any of that stuff. He cares. He doesn't care about your achievements. It's all about your heart. God cares about your heart. If your heart's not right with God, even though you work hard at religious activity, even though you work hard at coming to church, you can't please God if your heart is not in the right place. And so I would tell us that we need to examine our hearts. Like I might even write that down. We need to examine our hearts. Are the thoughts of your heart leaning in towards God or are they leaning out towards the world? Are your hearts stolen by someone or something in the world, or are your hearts stolen by the love of God? We need to ask ourselves the question on a daily basis, where's my heart? Like, you need to check in with your heart. Where's my heart? Is my heart leaning towards God, or is my heart leaning towards the world? Is my heart leaning into God, or is my heart leaning out away from God? Where's my heart? And students, I want you to hear this. Students, you can honor God from your hearts by doing your work, by studying well, by doing your work, by being kind to your classmates, and, and by sharing the gospel as opportunity arises. Students, you honor God with your hearts when you do those things. As employees, most of us have a job in here. Guess what? You can honor God with your hearts at work, by working hard, by doing excellent in your work, by doing the very best, by doing it as if you were doing it for God himself and revealing Christ's presence in your workplace. And check this out, parents. Parents, you can honor God by raising your kids well and by managing your homes in such a way that honors God. It's your heart that matters. I hope you hear that. I hope you get that, that it's your heart that matters. And not only uh, were they hypocrites, Jesus didn't say, hey, you're just not only hypocrites, but their teachings 
were based on human traditions. It wasn't even based on the word of God. They were basing it on their human traditions. Like verse seven, it says, Jesus said this. He said, they worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus is like, you guys don't get it. Like you're just making up a bunch of these rules. They're not even a part of my commandments. They're not even a part of what I've commanded you to do because God isn't interested in our human traditions. He's really not. God wants us to worship him based on truth of his word. That's what God wants us to worship him with, based on his truth of his word. In fact, John 4.23 tells us that God is seeking those who worship him in spirit and in truth. And yet here's the deal. The religious leaders of the time were claiming their traditions to be of God, and that was a lie. The ceremonial washing had nothing to do with God, nothing at all. And they're like, Jesus is like, you're missing the point. It's not what you do when you wash food or wash your hands or wash the cups or wash the bowls. It's a matter of your heart. And Jesus tells them in verse 8, he says, you have let go of the commands of God and you are holding on to your human traditions. You know, there's some churches and there's some Christians that are holding on to human traditions and placing those human traditions above the heart of God. They're saying these things are more important. And I would say, I would pray that God would never say that of Warehouse Church. That God would never have to say you have let go of the commands of God and holding on to human traditions. That that would never be the words that would come out of his mouth here. And where did these traditions come from? Like we've been talking about them, but where did they come from? Well, after the Jews were exiled to Babylon um, and, and way back in the Old Testament, the Jewish rabbis began to make rules and regulations. They began to compile a list of rules and regulations that governed the daily life of people. Like they had the Ten Commandments, and we all have heard of the Ten Commandments. Many of us know at least five of the Ten Commandments. Some of us may know all ten. But these Jewish rabbis and leaders said, you know what? We need to have some rules. We need to have some traditions that, that help us in the daily. And they were interpretations and they were applications of the law of Moses that were handed down from generation to generation to generation. And in Jesus' day... The tradition of the elders, that's what Mark calls it, and that's what they were called. The tradition of the elders, they were still being passed down from orally. Like, they weren't written down. Nobody had written them down yet. They were just passed down orally. And it wasn't until 200 years after Jesus' death that they put them in a book. It was called the Mishnah. And the Jewish faith still has the Mishnah. And over time, the Mishnah became more valued than the written words of God. And they began to let go of the commands of God and they began to hold on to these human traditions, like washing your hands before you eat. In verses 10 through 13, Jesus gives them a prime example. He's like, let me just give you an example. He says, remember one of the Ten Commandments? It goes like this, honor your father and your mother. He tells them that. He says, remember that, that, that commandment, honor your mother and father? Kids, that's one of the Ten Commandments. That's one of God's law. It's not a tradition. We need to listen to that one. Honor your mother and father. And, and then Jesus says this, and, and he says, and remember what we said later about it, that anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death? Jesus is like, that was a serious command. Honor your mother and father. Like, I'm serious about that. And part of that meant taking care of your aging parents. And so if you were a Jew, uh, your responsibility to live out the Ten Commandments was to honor your mother and father as they were getting old, which meant taking care of them. And, uh, and, but the religious leaders, they found a workaround. 
Like they were like, I don't want to spend all my money. I don't want to spend my inheritance on taking care of my mom and dad. And so they found a way to work around it. And, and they, they, they ignored this command by teaching that they could give money to the temple in lieu of helping their parents in need. And whatever money would be used to provide for aging parents, they dedicated to the temple, which came back to them. And so they found this workaround, and, uh, and it's called Corbin, uh, is what the Mark uses. It's, a, it's just a word, a Jewish word that means a sacrificial offering. In other words, the Pharisees took a legit offering, and they used it in an illegitimate and devious way to defraud their parents, and the money would come back to them in, in some way. And so under the guise of religious zeal, like, look at me, look at how much money I'm putting in the offering, they ignored this basic human responsibility that was commanded by God to take care of their parents. And Jesus goes on to say, listen, that's just one example of many. He's like, you have found human traditions. You have found workarounds that, that, sat, that, that help you and that work for you so that you can get what you want. And so they allow these traditions to trump the word of God. And when they should have respected the word of God more than human traditions. And so we should always be on guard you should always be on guard against rules and regulations and traditions that violate the word of God. And I would say that there are many places out there in the world, many churches out there in the world that they have placed human traditions over as more important than the word of God. And we have to be wary of that. Like the word of God trumps everything. The word of God is the most valuable thing that we have. And human traditions never trump it because it's a matter of the heart. The word of God, especially God's command to love one another, must be a priority in our lives. And then Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. And he says, what really defiles a person? Like he's like, you wanna know what really messes a person up? What really makes a person unholy? And, he, and after putting the religious leaders in the place, he calls the crowd in. Like we read that, he calls the crowd closer and he says to the people, hey, come here. And he says, and these people, you gotta understand them. These people have been harassed and enslaved by empty rituals and rules of the religious leaders. My small group this week, we watched uh, the first episode of Chosen. And it's a, it's a story about a shepherd. And uh, in the story of the shepherd, the religious leaders mock him and shame him and, and, and just really beat him up and say, if you ever come back here without this pure and holy lamb, you will be, you'll be put in jail forever. And so, um, so th these religious people have been beat up by these Pharisees and by these religious leaders of the law for generations. And Jesus really wants to set them free. And so here's what he says. Jesus, again, in verse 14, calls the crowd to him and says, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. And after leaving the crowd, uh, they go into the house. Jesus and the disciples go in the house. And his disciples are like, uh, Jesus, like, can you help us understand what you meant by that? And Jesus thought it was pretty clear. And he's like, are you so dull? He's like, duh, can y'all not get a clue? He's like, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart. It goes into their stomachs and then out of the body. And so Jesus, he's like, it's not food. Food or unclean hands that makes a person unholy. Because food goes into the stomach and then it leaves. And he's like, are you really that dumb? Like, can you not get a clue? And he continues in verse 20 through 23, he says, what comes out of a person, what comes out of us 
is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. And then he lists a bunch of things like sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, greed, uh, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly, and many more. He's like, all of these evils come from our heart. He's like, food doesn't do it. Unclean hands doesn't do it. It's what's in your heart that matters. The problem, Jesus says, is that our hearts are ruined by evil thoughts. And where do evil thoughts come from? Where does theft and murder and adultery and greed and all those things come from? They come from our hearts. Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah 17, 9. He said, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So how do we honor God with evil hearts? If our hearts are ruined with evil, how do we honor God? How do we do that? Well, I want to say this, we can't. It's impossible. Worshiping good deeds from an evil heart are like filthy rags before God. Yet Jesus didn't teach us this to make us feel defeated. He didn't teach us this to make us feel helpless. Rather, he wanted us to realize that we can't honor God without his help. You see, our hearts need to be purified. Our hearts need to be purified. In the Old Testament, God opened a way for the people to come to him with sacrificing animals. And so God said, hey, you want to come to me with pure hearts? Here's how you do it. Bring me animals. Sacrifice animals, and that's how it'll work. And this system was just a shadow of what was to come. Because that is what Jesus, that is why Jesus leaves here. He leaves, after this moment, he leaves Galilee and begins his journey to the cross. And, and he begins his journey to Jerusalem where he would die for our sins. And Jesus, hear this church, Jesus, the son of God, became the lamb of God whose blood can cleanse the heart of people. Only way that our hearts can be purified, the only way that we can be made holy is through Jesus. Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews 9, 14. Uh, the author says these words. He says, how much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, how much more will he cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? What the author is saying is simply this that only Jesus' death on the cross can purify our sin-stained hearts. And when we come to Jesus as we are, we're, and when we uh, acknowledge our sins and simply trust him, he will forgive us and he will purify us from all sin. So as we trust in Jesus minute by minute, as we trust in Jesus day by day, he enables us, he empowers us, he equips us to love God and to love others from our hearts. So hear this, this is the key. Jesus is the key. Jesus is the key to a genuine heart transformation and he's the key to genuine community of love. And so people today, they're tired of empty promises. Like your friends, people out there that don't go to church, they're tired of Christians with empty promises. But when they see true love, when they see genuine love that can only come from God and they see it happen in genuine community, they are drawn to Jesus because it's a matter of the heart. And so let me just ask you this, church. Do you want revival to happen in this place? And if so, it begins with your heart. It starts with your heart. It begins with you. And they hear this. 
It begins with you showing up with a heart that is pure and a heart that expects a mighty move of God to happen in this place. Like, do you come to church expecting a mighty move of God? Do you come to church expecting God to do something that only God can do? Because that's how revival begins. It begins with your heart and it begins with you expecting God to do something great. Let me ask you this, do you enter? Do you enter into worship with a pure heart? Or are you just an actor putting on a mask, hoping that no one will see through uh, your charade and recognize you as a hypocrite? Because here's what the deal is. It's a matter of the heart. Do you walk through those doors on Sunday morning? Or do you connect with us online on Sunday morning with a heart that is prepared to experience a mighty move of God? Or do you walk in hoping service gets out early so you can enjoy the rest of your day? Because church, the reality is this. It's a matter of your heart. Like the difference between you experiencing a mighty movement of God or just another Sunday morning is how you enter through those doors. And if you enter through those doors expecting nothing, guess what? That's what you're gonna get, nothing. But if you enter through those doors preparing your heart and expecting God to do transformation in your life, guess what? That's what you're gonna experience. Because here's the thing about worship. We don't come up here and warm you up for worship. We don't come in here and warm you up for the message. You should already be warmed up when you walk through those doors. Like, do you get that? Do you understand? That's worship. Worship is you preparing your heart before you enter into this place and expecting God to do something amazing. It's a matter of your heart. Is worshiping or serving on a ministry team just a hollow tradition that you do on Sunday? Or is it something that you do? Is it a time where you draw near to God? Is it your act of worship? Like I know a lot of people, why do you go to church? I've just always done it. That's what I do on Sunday. It's it's tradition. And I would say, man, if that's why you're coming to church, you're missing. You're missing the point. You're missing a movement of God in your own life because it's always a matter of the heart. Here's the last thing I want you to hear, and we're going to wrap up in prayer. And it's these words. If you put on the screen for me. Worship, or any religious activity for that matter, with an unclean heart is just a waste of time. It's just a waste of time. A clean heart makes you a holy person and that is that is actually useful and pleasing to God because God wants you to come before him pure and holy so let me just challenge you and invite you next Sunday when you walk through those doors how about you pause for just a minute between the front door and those doors would you just pause and would you say these words God would you create in me a clean heart Like I'm about to go in there and I'm about to worship with my friends and my family. But Lord, I want to walk in that room with the expectation that you're gonna do something amazing. So God, would you create in me a clean heart now so that when I enter into worship, I can experience everything that you have for me. Would you do that next week? Would you try that? Would you come to church expecting God to move? Would you come to church with bigger expectations 
than just a couple cool songs and a neat message, but would you come expecting a mighty movement of God? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for for worship. God, I thank you that we get to come here every Sunday and we get to worship you. We get to sing songs. We get to pray with you. We get to open up your word. But Father, so many of us, we're just going through the motions, Lord. God, we enter into this room and we find things to complain about. We enter into this room and we talk about other people. We enter into this room and we 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 keep looking at our watches and thinking, am I going to get to uh, get to Billy Ray's before everyone else? And we think about those things. But God, what would it be like What would it be like if we entered into this space prepared with our hearts ready to receive what you have for us, expecting you to move in mighty ways? Lord, help us to enter into your presence with the expectation that you're going to move. You're going to break our hearts. You're going to set us free. You're going to transform our lives. You're going to bring dead things back to life. God, help us to come with that expectation. And Lord, when we leave here, may we leave here different than when we came. May we not leave in the parking lot and start yelling at our kids or on the way home talk about gossip and other people in the room. Father, may we leave having a conversation about the mighty things that you've done in our lives and the lives of people around us. God, it all begins with our hearts. It's not about tradition. It's not about any of the things that we do. It's about our hearts. Lord, help us to get our hearts in the right place. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, we're going to stand up and we're going to sing our closing song. And I want to give you an opportunity. Maybe you just need to get your hearts in the right place today. You're welcome to come and pray, and we'd have, I'll be right here on the front row if you want someone to pray with you. Um, don't ever feel ashamed. Nobody's going to look at you differently if you come up here and pray. And if you've never said yes to Jesus, maybe today is the day. Maybe today's the day you just say, you know what, Jesus, I've been living my life without you, but today I want to live my life for you. Would you come into my life, and would you be my Lord and Savior, just like J.D. did? Uh, we would love for you to experience that as well. So let's sit, stand and let's sing together our closing song.